the Protective Inside Podcast, putting the you in humour. And welcome back to another episode, my lords, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, it's wonderful to see you. It's been a it's been a hot minute since we've been able to get together and uh, and and have a chat with you all. Uh, I'm sorry if I sound a little weird. I actually have COVID at the minute, so I'm doing my best to cough up everything that I can in order to allow me to actually talk. <laughs> So if I start giggling at any stage that's inappropriate, it's only in relation to the drugs that I'm on and nothing else uh, in that way. But I'm uh, I'm I'm very excited uh, today uh, in relation to our special guest. It's a man whose name whose name I've been aware of for for quite some time within the industry within the field, and to have him sat down here in front of us sharing his his thoughts and his wisdom with us all is uh, is an incredible thing. Uh, Aaron Moldin, the founder of uh, Catalyst Training Group and KTG Consulting, an internationally recognized thought leader with over 18 years of high-level private sector experience. And that is some of the details that we're hopefully going to get to grips with throughout today's episode. Right, Jim? Yes, undoubtedly. Um, Aaron is one of those guys that when there's problems, he gets called in and fixes them. So he's a He's a solutions guy, a guy that's got a proven track record experience, as you'll find, very easy to talk to. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun uh, with this. Uh, we're going to dive into everything regarding training, sustainment training. What are some of the common pitfalls maybe he's seeing? I mean, he's he's what I call a fixer. So I'll be curious to see, hey, what are the most common problems are we having to fix? You know, is it are they training issues, vetting issues, onboarding, things that we've talked about in previous episodes? Um, so I just think it's going to be just a really good conversation for those of you that are in the EP field. If you're a company, a provider, you know, a guy that's actually working, looking to get into it, you need to be listening because I'm sure there's going to be tons of nuggets in here as well. Um, Aaron's very well versed in that whole recruitment resume building and how to make yourself stand out. You know, uh, don't write like a dummy, you know, per se. So, without without further ado, I'd like to bring on our, our good friend Aaron, and uh, let's get this conversation started today. Uh, yes, I always feel like I need some kind of applause cue at this stage. Uh. Yes. <laughs> you know, when when you come in, I feel like we need some kind of bell or dong or something, and it's just like, hey, how's it going? You can do this. <laughs> Oh, there we are. That's the link. But thank you, sir. Thank you for uh, thank you for giving so freely of your time to allow us to pick your brain uh, over the course of this of evening. It's very much appreciated. Of course. Thank you for having me, Ben, Jim. Yes. So uh, real quick, as we get started, Aaron, why, why don't we just give some people, I know a lot of people have heard of you. We do have some viewers and stuff from various backgrounds and stuff that may not have. Can we dive into, uh, let's talk about Catalyst. What, what, what was the Catalyst that got you to to start Catalyst. How about that? Well, I think the key thing is, is um, the absorption of companies, right? So the absorption of Allied with AS, and then now it was, you know, Garda with FAM. And um, a big thing with what I was wanting to do is to be an enabler. Like it's not, I'm not the, the one shop, one-stop shop for everything, but 
over the years, I've built um, just a vast network of subject matter experts. So if there's an issue and I can't provide a solution, I know I can find someone that can, um, you know, correct the path. Um, I don't like to say like, you know, fixing programs. I like to say optimizing or, you know, compliance and quality assurance, because um, what Catalyst can do is help security companies, family offices, uh, corporations, um, not have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to certain things, right? So, um, and it's a conduit. So I want to do consulting. I want to do training. There's a lot of training companies out there, but there's not a lot of training companies that um, specialize in sustainment training packages. And what does that look like, right? You know, as far as, you know, what is the best way to choose a training provider? Does that training provider, their um, image on social media, does that jive with their company culture? Um, so when I left AS Solution, I mean, we were probably doing about, you know, three plus million dollars a year in training. Um, I don't know what the what they're doing right now, but there's a, a big void in the training industry, especially in the Bay Area, um, when it comes to the key fundamentals of sustainment training to keep our uh, to keep their agents at a state of operational readiness. Uh, from the consulting standpoint, um, uh, I come in as uh, a consultant where it's may not, I'm not the perfect fit for a lot of company cultures, but I can be the back-end voice for a program manager or project manager to make them look like a hero, right? Like as far as onboarding, um, yeah, so it's, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm a, those who met me, I'm, you know, high energetic and a little wild at times, but, you know, when it comes to the job, I can get things done, I can identify. And I think the biggest thing is the back end business of EP. You know, what is it like to start up a program? What is it like to sustain that program? What is it like to understand um, quality assurance and compliance and taking and this is a big thing too people teach courses on like threat assessments and risk assessments but no one teaches how to follow through so i can go do a risk assessment it could be 100 pages or it could be three pages but the fact is is that if i give you that playbook is there someone in that position to follow through with the priority objectives to create you know to manage risk for your corporations and that's a a big thing these people will ask for these assessments and I'm like, who do you have that's going to, you know, do action items on this? And if they don't, then I go, okay, well, you can put me on a retainer or I can get someone that can help consult. Because when we're talking about, let's just use residential, mm. right? there might be cameras, um, camera systems, access control systems, maybe setting up the, uh, the command post that they have it, developing SOPs, policies for onboarding agents. Um, how to complete daily and nightly operational report for KPIs and how do we take those weekly reports and put them in a report to submit up to the client to show that the actionable items that we're doing every week. That's all the back-end business that a lot of people don't understand and they don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's been a playbook. It's been around for a long time. I modify it and adjust it every year because we always, you know, with technology and everything like that, it always starts to evolve. But that is what Catalyst is in a nutshell is, um, you know, if someone reached out to me and they needed services in Minnesota, I vet and find a, a reliable company, not only a reliable company, but a company that has 
um, the proper manpower, and most importantly, the operational funding to execute mm-hmm. tasks. That's mm-hmm. a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Operational funding is a big thing. Um, and then I hand it off, you know, so it's just, it's not all about me. I'm here to, you know, like we say, rising tides lift all ships. So I'm here to support the industry, try to make the industry better. Cause I think, um, you know, after COVID there's been a, a downfall in personnel, uh, you know, training now that we're starting to ramp back up. Um, yeah, there is a need. Sorry for the ramble. No, no, it's, it's not a ramble because uh, you hit the nail on the head, like with the assessments, they bring you in, right? And there's a, there's a reason to bring you in because they don't have someone there that's, for lack of better terms, competent or capable, right? They might not have the experience. So you bring an outside guy. Well, then what are they doing? Like you said, after you do it, it's kind of like learning another language, right? You just gave them something and it's all in Latin and they only know English, you know? So you yeah. leave them this great, beautiful book, but no one knows how to read the plays. So then it's like, all right, then, well, you're still in square one and now you spent this money to get this playbook but you don't got the right coordinator or head coach. So then, yeah. you know, did it, are they, are they bringing you on too? like, are, are they finding, is there a need you think too? Like when they bring you on, why isn't it like a, like a train to trainer slash, you know, you come do the assessment, but also help with them with assisting or setting that up and training the guy so that they can read the play when you leave. Well, cause it's not sexy for me to do a five day course on, on writing risk assessments, terms and agreements, RFPs, um, which we do have. I have Chris Story who teaches our business of executive protection management. Yep, knowledgeable, great, great guy. Course. Yep. Yeah, three day course, and you know, Chris is a phenomenal instructor. It's almost like you're getting your master's degree in, in far as yeah, the back end. You're, you're, you're in graduate studies there in those courses. Yeah. You're, you're working for so, a PhD. Uh, yeah, a lot of people who were taking the class were like, "Whoa!" But a lot of business owners were like on the phone every day after class going, change this and we need to revamp this. But going back to that assessment, um, so I'll have companies hire me, I'll go do an assessment on a property and I'll dig everything from, you know, hey, this is what we need from, uh, you know, physical security side, electronical uh, or electronics, whatever systems to the employees scheduling SOPs, um, and also to uh, client onboarding, like how do you properly onboard a client, right? What is the proper information that you need to know? What are the steps that you need to do to, to actually be able to provide um, service of value to mitigate risk on their behalf? And some of the clients that I have are, are legitimate threats. Um, so they'll bring me in, I write the assessment and the assessment that I did was probably about, you know, 20 pages. It was a massive property, but I integrated how daily operations were going to work. And it was what we, what was unique about it. We were able to integrate, um, estate management services because they didn't have an estate manager. So I was like, let the security company provide that. Right. So that's, you know, onboarding, um, house cleaning, you know, landscaping, vetting, background checks, managing them on a daily basis. Long story short is when I had it done, I sat down with the business owner who we were going to get ready to go speak with the protectee. So I said, you have two options. And those two options are, I can hand over the playbook, which is 20 pages to a person that's probably not going to comprehend or understand or probably even read it. Right. Or I can do a three pager based off of what I've assessed and give option A, B, and C of your residential services. And then I hand over the playbook 
So once they do sign those services, now you have a playbook and an action plan to work off of. And I think that's um, a baby step approach. So I basically did um, introduction page, just a one page summary, and then a list of services. Services A is two agents per shift, um, 24 hours a day with full estate management services. Um, that's including um, vehicle maintenance because they had, he had actually six up armored vehicles on his property. Um, so we had to do vehicle maintenance on that. And then the whole, and then, you know, B was just the security without the statement services. And then like option C was like one guy per shift. Um, and it's then like, do you want security or you want the look of security? Right? <laughs> exactly. And you know, this individual was, you know, was blue collar. And now, you know, at this year, he, he probably hit about 150 million net worth. And, you know, for him, I was just nice. like, yeah, I'm like, you know, you're a CEO now and you should be focusing on that and not worrying about, you know, the safety and security of your family, your residents, someone will always be here, taking your kids to school, yeah. taking your wife shopping. Uh, we're going to streamline this. You can, you know, that's a big thing that is a misconception about security is they think it's a hindrance, but we're an enabler when it comes to travel and logistics and time. So you're not driving yourself. You can be in the back of the vehicle while we're safely driving you while well, the emails will. Lo and behold, this individual signed for um, option A, which is the big option. So it was um, probably, I think it was like a $1.5 million residential contract, which was solid. It was okay. a win. And yeah, then now, contract. yeah, and I handed over the playbook and I said, hey, you know, you can hire me on, on as a consulting fee to, to help knock this stuff out. And what does that entail? That is entails going, well, we need to put up uh, camera systems. We need to build out the command post. We need um, medical training for the agents being onboarded. We need a, a residential medical kit. We need a vehicle me medical kit. Um, their dogs are their kids. Like they have kids, but also that as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, so now do we need to implement um, Canine, you know, first aid, right? Oh, yeah. So that's, that's a big thing too. Uh, so it's just well, that, basically that is trying to vet the right the right guys, right? Because you're going to have to find guys that can drive up armored vehicles, so have experience mm -hmm. in up armored, and you know, and let alone do, do they have dog experience? You know, or the dog's going to even allergies. And that's where training comes in, is because once they sign option A, you know this was something I learned moving forward where they were just adding in the hourly pricing where in my opinion, I'm going to give away the golden key where any agent that you have on a detail, you should add an additional $10,000 per year for training. Yes. So 10 grand will roughly get you the, you know, the big four driving medical. These guys were armed firearms and then what I call use of force or combatives. And those are and those are four p uh, four key compliance keys uh, cases or pieces. Sorry, um, that if they do get in an altercation, if they do get in a shooting, if they do get in a car accident, the curriculum and the instructors should be SMEs for what they're teaching to be able to stand in court in their defense on what happened. As an example, I keep using this um, for driving. As we had a client in. Um, uh, LA and he was driving down Sunset Boulevard and he was doing 35 miles per hour. He had the principal in the car. Someone opened the door and he took off the door 
with the principal right. in it, right? So then they stop. It was a big mess. And then once the person seen who was in the back of the car, they were like, they thought they hit pay dirt. What it All came down sudden, to, I'm injured. And yeah, or like you know, I couldn't go to work, and you know, I missed picking up my child, whatever. So, but yeah. when it came down to is physics. So we say he, he was doing the speed limit, which is 35 miles per hour, which he's traveling at 53 feet per second. So if we look at the, the natural human reaction time of uh, the driver seeing the, um, the hazard in front of them, the one second to apply the brakes, right? Then for the vehicle to react to that, you know, he was at, you know, you know, two seconds at a minimum, and he's already, you know, traveled up 106 feet. So it was physically impossible for him to avoid that accident. And they got him to the court case. So, and that could be in time when we talk about compliance for shooting packages. When I built our shooting package, I built it from the court case going backwards. So if one of our agents got in a shooting, what would the, the prosecutor be looking at? Does he have a modified trigger? What type of ammo was he carrying? You know, does he have, you know, a skull and crossbones holster or, you know, some type of... You know, you know how everyone, you know. Details matter. Yeah. 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 Well, so, you know, people automatically think, you know, if you have, you know, like a little smiley face and a death emblem on your yeah. rifle or anything, they think you're some kind of crazed killer, yeah. right? Even though it might be the case, just you maybe have some humor in your life. But those are little details that will categorize you. And that fight in a courtroom is, is different than on the street. You know, they will do everything they can to just destroy your character and your reputation in order to get a payday in court. So yeah, you definitely don't want to be doing those dumb things like that or the little patches and stickers on your backpacks and gear that identify you as particular types of people, especially as military guys. Oh, we have that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> from, a, from firearms piece, you know, what I used to do is, um, so for some of the bigger programs, um, you know, we regulate, I mean, the uh, ideal program would be to, you know, issue the firearms to everyone. They shouldn't be using them because you're going to have a hodgepodge of, you know, retired cops carrying like 380s and, you know, the guys carrying 1911s, you know, 49. So it's just, if you build a program, it's an educational standpoint going, hey, we're going to invest in the money. And the key thing is for a company, they're like, man, I'm going to have to invest in, let's just say, eight Glocks, right? Eight Glock 9 million. So I'm like, well, it's for the program and you're establishing assets for your company. And also too mm -hmm. is, you know, we will take the, the duty firearm that, or the duty ammo that you use, whatever state or county, we find out what the local law enforcement or federal agencies are using. So it's in compliance, right? So we can't say that yep. they're using some death destroyer round, right? And then, they're not well, using dragon's breath or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but when they do their initial qual, and this is kind of like the secret of my madness, where, I mean, when they show up, I have them qual with their duty ammo that they're carrying. So it rotates that yeah. out. Then we do the training yeah. ammo. Then when we're done, I strip, I have a Glock armor, strip all their guns, make sure there's no modifications to them or no one's messing with them. And then they put it back and then I give them fresh duty ammo. So if that's usually a quarterly thing. So four times a year that we're, you know, rotating that ammo out. Um, but, if, but if you incorporate it into your, your your training budget per guy in your contract, right, then then you're accounting for those things that are necessary in order for you to reduce liability, right? So it just really comes down to how are you structuring 
your contracts and stuff with clients to Nuda because I think that's a the, the, that's a smart idea. I mean, that's what we do in law enforcement. You know, we don't we don't get to go buy our own individual guns. You know, we're issued firearms and just the way we did it, and that's that's the best way to be able to protect your assets. Yeah, and if you look at let's say a, a one day package with let's say overall. So if I fly out to where they're at, right? So I, let's mm-hmm. let's just say the pack my package is. 2500 to 3000 for the one day, then you have all that. So let, let's just say with their paid training or whatever for that day, you're at like seven or $8,000 times that by four, that's uh, $32,000 a year. People like, that's a lot, you know, for compliance. But if something happens, that's a minimum two, $3 million lawsuit that you're going to have to deal with. And then now the curriculum that we teach has TPO, EPOs, which is any true like college or military curriculum, they have those terminal learning objectives and yep. enabling. Terminally enabling, yep. Learning objective, correct, yep. Yeah, so you have to have those. Um, but for the training side, I think it's just one of those things that a lot of people are not educated on um, and they don't know where to start, but like driving's another one. Like if you drive a principal or company vehicle, you need to have driver's training. Um, cold weather driving for those like in the Midwest and East Coast, I mean, that's crucial for, you know, low grip training, uh, you know, shameless plug with AS3, you know, we're, we're utilizing the easy drill system. So now we can teach cold weather driving anytime, anywhere. Well, that, that, but it's not, it's not even just cold weather driving. Cause what I love with that, the easy drift too, not to even sub off that is it's, it's low grip training. So it also helps you with hydroplaning. If you're in States like Florida, say it's to get heavy amounts of rain, it helps you with understanding that, you know, you know, so yeah, I mean, you and I both will speak on that. We had Pablo one, Ben got a chance to meet him, you know, just okay. um, three is just one of those schools and curriculums that is, yes, get out there and you have a vetted curriculum and the training goes above and beyond that will help you with reducing your liability. And you're, I can't agree with you more. 30 grand for training, you get sued. Well, that, that 32,000 training is worth it because you save millions. You maybe mm-hmm. save your business because if you're not a big enough business, you're not going to be in business if you get hit with one of these big lawsuits and, you know, and trying to fight that and put the money into attorneys and fees and everything else. It's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So why not invest it and protect yourself for the long term? I, you know, I just, there's a lot of companies out here that I see that just turn their head to it and don't do much. And in hell, I, I even see it in law enforcement. Some are getting better, but you know, in Virginia, Academy instructor, for years at a police academy. I get you for five days in a 40 hour course for driver training. Well, what do cops spend 90% of their job doing? Driving around in a car. The majority of their accidents happen backing up. I had one sergeant had three accidents while on duty, backing his cruiser up in the parking lot at the police station, backed into other police cars. Okay. But there's no, when you're like, hey, let's go do a refresher, let's do this, some kind of sustainment. No, okay, but you expect that a course, a cop that took a 40-hour course in 2009 gets into pursuit in 2015, has no other additional trainer. You think he's going to, you know, do a good job under stress? <laughs> it's not happening. What is it? You know, Harvard had that study where it's, you know, it takes 21 days of consistency to, to make it a habit, right? It takes 500 repetitions roughly to make it muscle memory, and then it'll take 5,000, excuse my friends, to unfuck it. Um from that muscle memory. So it's one of those things where, you know, we're looking at spending the liability, but also too, we're, we're increasing the skill set 
of the individual protector or practitioner. And also too, um, I'm able to get a lot of feedback on those individuals coming through training where I've had, it's sad to say that these people were on the job, they went through the firearms course and, you know, I had to call HR and said, you know, these individuals should not be carrying a gun. Mm -hmm. If you want to continue to be employed, they're going to have to either have a two or three day consistent test to get them um, up to speed with everyone else. And also too, I've had students fall apart during driver's training where they just quit. And I'm like, it's 70 degrees. You're getting paid. You know, we're, we're on the track and this is before my, my AS three days driving, but literally people fall apart and, I have to, you know, call their program manager and say, Hey, you know, cause I, and this is a key thing too, is KPIs. This is a lot of, uh, one thing that we do that I don't think anyone else except AS3 international for driving does is, is key performance indicators. How do we track the performance record of training for driving medical shooting? Let's say just combatives Let's say those big four. So we, we can talk about report writing or, and we can do that as well. Cause report writing is a big thing too. Um, which law enforcement is really good at, but a lot of us are not because we're not used to doing it. But uh, yeah, but we know, cops aren't that good at it. <laughs> they, yeah, you they, get, they, get a four, they get a four-hour block, and you know, I had guys that can't write a basic report, and then try to explain to them, "You're writing a, a report that's going to court, that's going to be used as evidence in court. In any particular time, depending how that case goes, your report can become." future case law that's being referenced for future things. I'm like, so fix your grammar, you know, right? Like you have a little bit of an education, you know, um, but some guys wouldn't get it, you know, and, and I had a case go to court as a DUI case years ago in Virginia that came through on the type of roadway. I think it was, was an exemption that I fought in it that became an amendment to case law in Virginia for DUIs on particular types of roads and roadways, you know? So it's like at any given time, you could have that happen. So right, right. Like your report means something. And then, and then I'll jump off the soapbox because the other thing is too, a lot of guys I've come across, Aaron, they, uh, they use very little detail. You know, they, they like to just say, you know, on this day I did this, this, and this. And some people have told them, oh, that's great. And I'm like, yes and no. Okay. So you, you summed it up and an attorney can't argue it. However, you're not going to go to court right away, maybe to testify on it. Maybe it's five years down the road. And now you got to use that report, refresh your memory on those events and what happened. And if it's something significant, and also, if it's not in the report, as we all know, right, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. Yeah. So, and, you know, what that translates to, too, is communication. If they want to move up uh, the chain of command, um, they got to know how to articulate an email, how to communicate with executives, C-suite executives, uh, senior yeah. leadership. And um, going back to that with the KPIs, those are the kind of things where now I am actually being able to give trackable data to the project or program manager. So when they have their QBRs, which is their, maybe their quarterly business review that they have with their leadership or the security company has with the client, they can show, Hey, uh, how was training this year? Well, and then I can, they can give a diagram to show uh, an increase of skill set throughout the year. And they're, they're reinvesting their employees and making sure because, you know, the key thing is, is I see in the industry that everyone goes to a school and then now they're a protector and they're on the job, right? And then they never go back to, to sharpen those skills or, so it's it's one of those things that, you know, we, we always gotta keep that, that you know, 
Well, no, you got to get, you got to, you know, get brilliant at the basics and you got to keep building on the, the foundational stuff. And I think, uh, I think it was Mike Pannon, Ben, when we had him on here that I love when he said it was, uh, he said, I would rather fight somebody that has bad training reinforced than an insurgent that goes off of their gut instinct. Because like you were saying before, right, that bad training reinforce it, one, it could be predictable, but you got to do a lot to, to unscrew them up, you know, so that key to that, that training. And no, I, other than AS3 and what you've been doing, I've had the opportunity to work around a bunch of different people in different organizations and see things. You don't see it. A lot of companies don't even evaluate their people. You know, they've mm-hmm. had guys on for a while and there's, there's no evaluation of like, okay, well, when did they came in? What level were they at? Where are they at now? What do they need? You know, and people neglect the needs of what these guys are. Some guys it's money. Some guys it's balance. Some guys want training. So what are you doing to create a culture to make sure that your team is optimized and performing at the best, you know, the best rate capability for that organization, right? It's, it's a double-edged sword on that because you will have the young you know, uh, motivators, right? The, the kids, mm-hmm. you know, the young men and women that are coming in that are eager, just as we all were when we were young, you know, I got in the industry started probably when I think it was like 26 and, you know, I was hungry, you know, and I was absorbing everything, but then you have, um, the, a lot of time retired individuals from either federal or state law enforcement military where it's just a secondary job. Right. And so, there's a caveat to creating the, the way I look at training is that it it's team building, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, I'll touch on this. So there was a, a company that, that I was uh, running their training program and they had their residential team and they had their EP team, but their training programs were not aligned by two different mm-hmm. complete companies, right? And I was kind of shocked because my residential team, they were getting 800 training hours a year, which is insane. Insane. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I call them the Marine Corps Mafia. Um, you know, yeah. majority, like 90% of them were all, were all Marines uh, that, you know, I recruited. But the thing is, though, right, is that always we, we like training. We like to work at a certain, you know, operational tempo. We want to be optimized and we're team players. Right. There's a difference there. You know, you got guys today that claim to be, you know, a teammate, but all you hear is I, 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 you know, you hardly seldom hear a we, you know, the actions speak loudly, you know, and and a lot of times it's lack of action. Um, I like, I like where you're going with this. So with that, I mean, how do we, how do you address some of those things? Right. Because the other thing I'm seeing with some of these schools with it, well, they don't, all ties in is these these kids out here, these young, hungry military guys, or just people in general. They they you see them all over Facebook and social media. What's the best school to go to? I want to get into the EP, and then the people put out the same kind of key schools that have been around forever. The curriculums, from what I've seen, haven't changed in 20, 30 years. They're not really adapting, but they're taking these kids' money. They're putting these running these kids through classes, and I always use this one kid. And some people that are listening, they know who I'm talking about because they worked the same site where I was at when I came across this guy, and it's like drove me nuts. Good kid, college educated kid, but he's no military, no law enforcement background. Went to one of these schools to get his certification. You go on his LinkedIn. He's a defensive designated marksman. He's a SWAT operator. 
he's a close protection professional. And I'm like, you just graduated the class. You got three months. And then we're on this, uh, where I met him on this detail, claiming how great of a driver he is. And he's this, this, and driver. And he gets a flat tire. And I tell him to change the tire. And he goes, I don't know how. I've never changed one before. Well, that's... Uh... You spent 25 grand on a school and got the certificate. You're According to your LinkedIn profile, you're this high-speed operator. And we can't do the simple task of what a driver should be, which is know your vehicle, right? You know how to keep that vehicle operational, change that tire. It, it, it's sad because, um, you know, training is my passion and I want to have a positive impact. When I was with AS Solution, um, a lot of people know in 2019, I ran over 149 classes in seven countries and trained over 2,300 agents in one year. And having exposed to, you know, we had 35 embedded accounts. We had over 120 clients. You know, I went to, um, you know, I've touched almost majority of those teams and each team did things different ways, right? But what it came down to from the training standpoint of me is, um, I'm not going to call any schools out, but I think some schools are taking advantage of our veterans and the GI Bill. I want to change um, and it's an educational because you have some schools teaching um, regurgitated curriculum and they've maybe operated in the, the late 80s, early 90s and nothing's relevant. Like right now, I always end like my seminars, I end it with how to build a professional LinkedIn page. And I had to find, how do you define your title on LinkedIn, right? How do you define that title that makes it searchable for headhunters on LinkedIn? Um, you know, I've spent the last three years um, trying to master, you know, the LinkedIn and what I can do to help maximize them. And a lot of them too, where they go, oh, we do resume writings and I get the resumes and they're jacked up, right? So from an educational standpoint, I'm hoping maybe within the next 18 months, um, if I do get the GI Bill or whatever, I want to have a positive impact. And also too, um, I know majority of the people at every major you know, security company here, and I support them in recruiting. And what happens is, is as an example, I was hired on to um, help fill their, they had 88 vacant positions in the Bay. I submitted 89 resumes and one person was hired out of the 89. So now how do I dissect that? Like what, what's the issue? Is it, um, their interviewing skills? Is it their experience? Is it the way, is their, their resume not jiving up with their, their LinkedIn page? Um, so every time I do something like, you know, if there's an issue, there's, there's always a solution to it. And I think it just comes from that training standpoint. Like, I don't think a lot of schools are. The other, thing, the other, the other caveat that I would challenge on that too, Aaron, is what's the skill of the interviewers? Do the, guys, and, do the guys conducting interviews actually know what they're looking for? And do they know how to get to the point what they're looking for? You know, when they get that resume and they get that, do they actually know how to get that, what they need out of that person uh, to make a good assessment? You know, because what happens is people tend to, if they're unaware of their biases and things, right, tend to want to hire people like them, which is the worst thing you can do. But if someone comes in, it's like, you know, Aaron, you and I both served in the Marine Corps. You know how it is. We, we all find each other. And it's like, oh, yeah. It's like, hey, look. And it'll be like, they look, this dude's solid. He was a Marine. But we all know there's a good percentage of Marines that are also shitbags that, that don't need to be in the business, don't need a job, right? But there's some good, solid guys. But our first thing is going to be, hey, that this hey, no, no, this guy did this. He's a solid guy. So what happens is they're not a 
the assessments aren't being done properly, or maybe someone doesn't like the Marines. You know, you come along and they don't like us because we have a particular attitude. We steal their crayons, whatever people want to say we're doing today. And you don't get that fair shake because, oh man, this guy, he's, he's got this background, which is the case in some, because some of the special operator guys, there is a need and a place for them in the industry, but it's, it's not the case all the time because some of them, although they have the most phenomenal hard skills you can see, they don't have the interpersonal skills that really is needs and necessitated for a lot of the clients. It's more of, can you do this? Can you communicate? Can you have a conversation and not get riled up emotionally and take things to the next level when they don't have to be? So I think it's, I think it's a two part thing. I, I think it's uh, the business side, not knowing the whole interviewing side on top of the guys don't know how to present themselves or articulate and communicate their experience to the, to the people. Yes. And there, there's, there's twofold on this is where, um, I've seen in the past, a lot of recruiters don't come from the industry. There's, you know, um, there's, I'll just, you know, Gavin to Becker, I think, you know, them having agents that have field experience have worked in the industry. They're their primary recruiters because they know what to identify, uh, and look for in agents for their select clientele. Because remember, every every account is different. Every principal is different, right? Yep, it's nuanced. Um, you know, like, you know, probably if you have a big hedge fund out of, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, you're probably going to look for someone more conservative and reserved, but then you then having more leeway than working for a young tech startup company in the Bay. Uh, but th that's the thing I found was I talked to a lot of these recruiters. She's like, well, he doesn't have relevant e experience. And I'm like, you know, for RST, I go, he worked at, he did armed services at the Department of Interior. You know, this individual is used to standing post armed, doing access control for 12 hours a day, you know. But also, too, it's on our part is we can train someone. Someone can have all the training, um, but it's the personality that is attitude them. And, and you can't you know i wish you can say you can teach common sense but i think that was my biggest fight always is on on hard skills um i have a story that i i tell about three marines coming out of one five out of pendleton they go to the same ep school right they come out and now they're all three applying for the same job so i tell them I'm like hey devils like you know, devil dog number one, like, what is one thing that you've done that's not secure or military related? And he goes, well, um, before I joined the Marine Corps, I was a bartender in college. I go, well, that's great. You have service industry skills, you have communication skills, and you have service skills. That's great. You should put that. And they go to the second devil dog, and he's like, well, nothing really, but I had to speak at my brother's wedding, and I was really nervous. So I joined the local Toastmasters club. And they coached me through to be able to speak at my brother's wedding or whatever. And I go, that is great because now you're, you're versed in proper communication skills. And the third one, you know, is like, you know, I, you know, I helped, uh, you know, dabbled in real estate a little bit and I go, that's great. Then you have sales skills. So these are the, the three little things that they'll need to sep separate themselves from other candidates. And, you know, there's always a thing that, I've been battling probably for the last nine years is what is the best um, soft skill program that we can educate 
new practitioners coming in the industry, you know, to help them refine their communication skills. Um, because everyone's like, we were so, and this is, and this is another caveat too. We were so far of going like hard skills, our hard skills have diminished in the current state of our industry because we are focusing so much on soft skills to maintain contracts, account, to get promoted as project managers, um, you know, program managers and, and being able to converse with the clients and the C-suite executives. But that's something that they're going to have to work on their own and find Because I know a lot of solid agents that are really rough around the edges and they've struggled because of their ability to properly communicate. Um, and, and my biggest thing that I had an issue with is writing. You know, I still struggle to this day. I have Grammarly. I read a one word from a dictionary every day, but I type the way I speak. So when I'm typing, it just, it's like a conversation instead of, and that, that you've been, you know, so that's, and that's just the way our brains work. You know, some people can't yeah. speak well, but can very, articulate words very well. And another tip too, is I took a class, which on LinkedIn learning, so it's not cheap anymore. I think LinkedIn learning is like $700 a year, but they have over 10,000 classes and like 21 different languages. And it's all like, how to be a project manager, or how to be a program manager, how to deal with um, difficult employees, how to lead with emotional intelligence, um, how to be self-aware in meetings, when to you know when to actually listen and speak. And there was one on how to converse with an executive, and that one it was only like a, a ten-minute class, but it was probably the most impactful that I had. And they took it down. I'm pretty upset, but every time I would converse with the CEO. They would say, Aaron, um, you know, we have this trip coming up. Give me your thoughts on what we need. You know, I want this trip, you know, done. Give me your thoughts. And I'd write this long dissertation, right? <laughs> on this. They're an executive. Yeah. They're CEO. They're, you know, they're, they're making they don't got a lot of time. thousands and thousands of dollars a second. And they're, they're, they look at my email and they just get exhausted, mm -hmm. you know, and they're just like when, so now, Here's a tip, especially if you use, um, uh, you know, Microsoft Outlook. When I, you know, when I reply, I just it's all one-liners, bullet points. Um, logistics is locked in. Who, you know, is there any budgetary restrictions? And um, who would be my point of contact for logistics? You know, point of contact for you for logistics. And then he'll reply. And then a lot of times I'll keep the title on the replies if we're going back and forth. And I'll change, it'll be like, um, let's say, um, you know, trip to Paris and I go, um, I'll say trip to Paris and I'll do a hash, like a, a dash and I'll put, um, logistics confirmed, sir, everything's set up. Boom. How's this, uh, Paris, um, security provider, local security providers confirmed. And I go, and so now he can look at the email, see real quick that you know, what I'm replying about, because we know it's about Paris, but what segment is it? You know, because we have, uh -huh. you know, the, the things that we have, you know, hey, when we do a trip, what are our physical risks? What are, you know, is there any potential reputational risk? What are operational risks? And then is there anything that we're going to encounter that can um, affect the, the itinerary from a strategic level for the company, right? So those are like, we identify those those five categories of risks uh, during travel, and I can shortly and briefly where he can just look at it and move on with his life. And I think that's a big thing um, 
with text and conversing just be as short and precise as, as possible on that. Yeah, on that. yeah, go, yeah. yeah that's, what I think I found is like that that's an outstanding point. If you're listening, make a note of that. I always found like you give that brief summary and then you can always attach the longer version, but you just give them, hey, here's the version. They can read it at their time. They can come back to you. But here's the, the key points and the main takeaways that you need to know, need to understand right now, because like you said, time is money. They're not going to sit and read a, a 30 page assessment that you that you put out there. They just need to know, you know, is it safe? Do you have my tickets? Are we going? You know, when are you picking me up? <laughs> you know, and they they rely on you, right? If you build that relationship, then there, there's that trust factor and they know that, okay, you know, I don't need to read this 20 pages. Aaron's got the bullets. This guy's got the job done. And I trust that and, you know, and, and they're putting their life on that. So there's some great points. Now, I'm going to try to pick your brain, brain some more, Aaron, because there's some good information here for everybody. Amongst your journeys, you've been doing this now over 18 years. I know a lot of the role you're filling in now is helping and using your term optimizing. Yeah. What are some of the, like, what are like the three, if you can, or if you can identify, what are like the, are there uh, three main things that you have seen or come across that have been consistent where you've had to go in and optimize? Are you seeing particular types of trends that that's like a common thing that you get these calls for that's the issue and the problem that you're able to identify and get a pulse on yeah it's uh it comes down to poor leadership or poor management or people in positions that have a dramatic need of self-preservation so they tend to hold everything close and want to be that person that the the, the protective the principal goes to and it basically um you know it it forces everyone below on daily operations to you know struggle to make things happen and i had to i came out on um and this is an example and this is kind of like a more technical term i was i came out for two months to assess a detail um it was a um uh a, a label that was getting bought out by another label so the big label wanted me to go and see what was going on because they were complaining that you know you know, security's not, you know, tight or they're, you know, they're falling asleep or we're concerned about X, Y, and Z. So I went out and did an assessment on the residents. I did assessment on uh, the side businesses, restaurants, nightclubs, and then I spent a month traveling. Um, I supported the team um, and I was working with them. But what it came down to is there was two factors, what were educational part where the manager wanted the the manager of the the artists kept everything in tight hold so they couldn't do advances they didn't have access to vehicles um they were limited information um as an example you know we were staying in in well the principal was saying let's say the baccarat in new york right so that things like you know five to seven thousand dollars a night you know iced tea is like 15 bucks in the lobby right so we were uh, our team was um not bad. Well, we were, you know, we were put in a nice hotel uh, down the way, but you know, it's New York. But what, I, what we're they're having us do is they're having the drivers just show up. And I go, no, we need to have the drivers, you know, come pick us up an hour prior to get us there. And he goes, well, that's that's an hour. You know, the managers like the the manager, the, the ops managers, that, that's an hour, and uh, they're not your vehicles; they're, they're the principals. And I'm like, well, let's put it this way. We got, we got, you know, six, let's just say there was what, eight of us, right? 
So eight of us will have to Uber back and forth, you know, at different times. Some of us will have to shoot out new advances, et cetera. So let's just say in, in a hindsight, um, that's 16 Uber rides in a day times that by 30. Now imagine after three days, us allocating that many Uber rides, what is that, 30, uh, 30 40, 42, 42 Uber rides, um, you know, per person allocating. That's gonna inundate your, your CPAs, your HRs. It's gonna waste our time. So it's cheaper from the back end of wasting, you know, billing and invoices in time to just allow a vehicle to come snatch everyone up an hour prior to get us to where we need to go to prepare for the principal's movements, who may or may not move that day, right? So that's a lot of back-end stuff that people understand where, you know, when, you know, we were at AS, we would have up to, you know, 40,000 credit card allocations a month that our billing had to allocate to set different accounts, invoice them, and go there. So when I come in, it's not just optimizing, you know, like, hey, is, you know, and when I come in, it's not optimizing just, is the team doing bad? What is the whole operation as a whole? Because everyone's in their own way. How do we make the EA or the PA, the executive assistant or personal assistant, life easier? How do we gain confidence in the manager where it's just like, hey, we'll take care of logistics. You know, we got it. Just feed us the proper information. Or to the point where it was really weird, where I'd have a guy on the break and the manager's like, well, well where's Dion? And I'm like, well, Dion's... I have Dion on break. He's resting. No, I need to see where my money's at. He needs to get over here. Like that was that man. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. Because right now we're working 20 hours a day. You're breaking multiple labor laws, you know, and this, and I can't make this up. We, they were keeping the drivers that long where a driver fell asleep in the car with me in it, going to do advance in Miami. And he crashed the car. I couldn't grab this. Sir. Like I, I looked over and he was nodding. And before I can grab the steering wheel, we plowed into a, um, a, a parked car on the corner. So that was a vehicle oh, down. So the thing. So when I had to write that assessment, you know, it was safety and security. It was like labor employment laws, you know, back in operational stuff to go like, hey, we can streamline this whole thing to make everyone's lives easier. Because, you know, yeah. uh, another thing too is what they don't understand is like, well, they're like, well, that's a lot of money. I go, it's not your money it's the company's money. You're, you know, you're not an entertainer anymore. You're an executive and everything that we do, we can follow the tax forms where it's a write-off. You're going to need a tax write-off. So there's that. And then also too, when I come in to optimize, there's always that misconception of um, guys going like, oh, you're going to try to, Aaron's going to try to get us fired or screw things up. And I have to go, look, I don't want your job. I'm here to see what the problem is. I'm here to see if, you need more manpower, which means you need a bigger budget or, you know, I, I don't want anyone to get fired, but if it's an educational training issue, I want to get the, the time and budget to do that. Because right now, if you look at a corporate level back in like 2016, we did an assessment where it, a corporation to hire someone as an internal employee was about $10,000. I think that's up to almost $20,000 now. Um, yeah. So that's why a lot of corporations want to contract security out because they, they're going to let the, the security company take the burden of onboarding, processing, hiring, training to get them in. And then if we come to work and they don't like Aaron's, you know, checkered vans 
and he shows up and Aaron gets fired, he's easily replaced. Whereas in a corporation, they can't, oh, that's, oh, it's discrimination because I have white and black shoes, right? So that's a, a, another key standpoint uh, to think about too is, you know, it could be a thing where, you know, guys are, are rusty, um, you know, if there's issues. And then also too is continued education where it's not mm -hmm. all just about shooting, driving, medical and combatives. It's about progressing where systemic goes, hey, this year I want to introduce a course on risk. I want to introduce a course on how they can do a risk or a threat assessment, building their, their internal skill sets. So now you're not having to outsource that. And then now you're given the, the ability of some of your agents to take on um, other tasks, right, to, to do that. So that's um, kind of a, a, yeah. a big thing. And a lot, of, a lot of times, too, is another big thing is a lot of these startups, they want to hire within, which I think is great, but they'll pull someone from their GSOC or Protective Intel side to set up the EP program. And they're only going to know what they know and, and perceive, but and thank goodness. The Intel side, they're, they're going to know that side of it well, but not know our operational side of the business. Yes. And it's a caveat where they'll call and they go, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help? I go, there's two ways I can help. I can come in as a consultant, give me 90 days or 30 days, whatever you need to build it up. Or you can feed me your problems as a consultant and I can write them out, um, do coaching calls, um, you know, with you to, to help you get your program. And if I don't have the answer, I'll get people in place that can. Yeah, what I'm seeing too is the thing is a lot of people don't know really how to accurately identify the roles within the teams that they need and then know that there's different particular type characteristics that you need in order to optimize those particular roles. I mean, and you hit the nail on the head in your example. You got a guy that's managing it's holding everything close to the chest. Well, that's that's a piss poor assessment of what's needed in that role because that's somebody that needs to be communicating, right? Because anytime you have a stoppage of flow, right? Like water flow and you're stopping and close off that valve, you're choking off the team. So how are you gonna how are you gonna provide the, you know the best service that you can if you're if you're gonna just deprive your guys of oxygen, so to speak. Yeah, usually those individuals are are harder to move, but Let's jump back to your first is defining roles, which is a big thing because depending on who set up the program defines the terminology. So like in my seminar that I just had on Sunday, I break down all the, the terminology because some people, traditional State Department and Secret Service, you have the AIC, the agent in charge, you have a detail lead, um, you know, maybe like a team lead. But when you go to the corporate sector, you may have the AIC is technically the FTE, which is a full-time employee, right? And the mm -hmm. secondary AIC is probably maybe a detail lead, which is like, so there's no defined roles because each corporation does it different. Um, uh, and I know some, some companies where they want everyone to fill as an equal, so everyone's either a manager or a lead, mm. right? Or, yeah. you know, they'll like some of the bigger corporations, like if you're, you know, program manager, and you're responsible, like you, you have the CSO, the director of security, then you have the program manager. The program manager will be responsible for protective operations for three C-suite executives. And under that project manager or program manager, you have multiple project managers that may oversee the EP side, the residential side, and the travel side of things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's break, breaking it down. But, you know, it's 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 a real it's really muddy waters when it comes to terminologies and defining roles. 
um, because you could be a project manager and you're going to be an ASC, maybe a detail lead. I've seen project managers drive, you know, so it's just, yeah. I, I think it's right now. It, 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 kind of, it kind of depends on, on the size of the client and, and need of the client, right? Or kind of what you work in or, or the way that security organization is, is set up, right? If it's a small yeah. company and you know, your, your CEO might be a program manager, a project manager, or a driver because they're building their, their security organization, you know, off, off the ground. But yeah, the, the corporate sector, I think, is very interesting, like you said, too, because they're going to have various things. And we saw, I think, after COVID, you know, you had all this and all the everything transitioned more to RSTs because everybody was stuck at home in lockdowns. And then as things started to open up, they were like, oh, crap, we got to go back to the office. So like, well, now we need guys to travel with us. Now I need people. I need an RST and I need a driver and, and some guys to take me to work. And it's like, oh, crap. Now we're hybriding both. And then they realized. Well, crap! Now I need a RST, a team, and I need a corporate team. <laughs> you know, so you've seen like this involvement and changes since 2020. It's really evolved, and in, in, um, and I'm sure you probably some more of it. But I've I've seen in our industry, which is kind of like where you wish certain there was good processes in there in play, is you've seen these guys that get in at the entry level. Nothing wrong with it that are like your your uniform type guys. And we all know the kind of levels there and what gets hired with them with different organizations are not really your highest kind of tier, but COVID, they got bumped up. All of a sudden those guys there get bumped up and they're part of like an EP team and people got leveled up, you know, per se from COVID on that should have never have gotten leveled up. And now we're also seeing that turn into a level of problems and issues when it comes to behaviors and attitudes, because it's, Certain people, if properly vetted, wouldn't have made it to those positions in the first place. But the state of the world at that time is what helped create some of that problem we're seeing. Yeah, you know, and I don't mind if, like, I'm all about bringing people up because if, if let's take uh, uniform security at casinos, right? Like, yep. oh, there's uniform, you know, uniform security, you know, and, and, there's a couple guys. I'm like, hey man, I'd like to bring you know, come to the class. We'd like to try to you know, if you want to take that next step. He's like, dude, I, I just work uniform security at like Treasure Island. And I go, dude, you get customer service training. You're de-escalating every day with drunk people dealing with, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that we would couldn't even fathom, right? And dealing yeah, with in issues. Vegas, for sure. Yeah, in Vegas. Yeah, you know, like I mean, no one talks about like. Uh, Oh, but like, you know how many people die in their hotel rooms and how oh, yeah. do you think those people, how do you think they get removed without people? Oh, yeah. knowing? Like, well, well, that's kind of it too though. Right. Though, but that, but that's you using your experience or earning and conducting a good assessment, right? Yeah. You have the ability to, to see, right. It, it isn't all about, Oh, you, you did time in Delta or you, you served in the military. It's, no, if you have a good attitude and you spent the majority of your career as a server or a bartender, like a service industry, which is what we are an EP, a service industry, I can teach you the skills, you know, but if you got yes. like the crappy attitude, right? The crappy attitude, crappy mindset, all the skill in the world, I can't help you. You're not going to work on a team. So, I yeah. mean, I'm with you on that. I mean, I look for things all the time like, well, I don't have this background. Yeah, but we can get you the background. We get you training. However, you know, you have the necessary communication and personal skills that you can build upon with. Yeah. And that's the thing I'll hit like recruiting is like, Oh, he's just, he just worked hotel security. I go, let's really define that because 
he already has the communication skills, the de-escalation skills. He's a person that is willing to stand to guard a broken escalator for eight hours, 10 hours a day, right? Well, so now yeah. all you have to do is give him continual training to, to build him up. And this is another thing too, where I dealt with um, um, a big Fortune 50 and you know they onboarded a new CEO and they were trying to get the him to have security drivers. And mm. he's like, no, he goes, I like my chauffeurs, I like my drivers. So like, well, you know, the, the board, you know, you rate a level of risk where you have to have that. So he put his foot down and they're like, Aaron, um, you know, what can we do? And I go, he likes his chauffeurs because they provide a level of service. They've, they've been working with them for six years. They know his ins and outs. So that's the hardest part is teaching a security driver, the customer service component of security driving. They already know that. So depending on the individual, I can teach them situational awareness. I can teach them how to run routes. I can teach them how to drive defensively. We can put them in a driving course. So, you know, if someone already um, possesses the soft skills and the communication skills and the customer service skills, we can teach them the hard skills. You know, hundred percent. And like you said, too, you know, not not hotel all hotels are, are equal. But I will definitely agree with you if you've worked in and worked well in a hotel in Vegas where thousands of people are walking those floors. You got tons of cameras, you know, their, their, their ability to read an environment and situation. They're constantly exposing that. So they're going to have good situational awareness. They should have a good security mindset. Like they're bringing a lot of the intangibles to you to where, you know, a guy that's working security in a hotel in Podunk, Alabama, you know, that is barely trying to stay awake all night, you know, that's not going to be the same skill set as someone working in a, in an environment like that so you can't you can't val- undervalue those skills and i think that's what happens right um and again it comes back to who's doing the interviews when they're reading the resumes do, do they know those skills you know that, that was the biggest thing we had we get out the military right is how do we articulate you know a, a united states marine corps infantryman into a resume that people go yes we want to hire you because you're going to have good people skills right it's very hard to say, well, I, I ran around and pointed guns and blew things up for a living, and that makes me a good candidate, right? We have to be like, well, what, what did we use? What, what leadership skills did we attain? What what certain intangible abilities did we do that incorporate into the resume that, that we went through, right? What type of leadership course? Did you go to corporal's course? Did you go to a sergeant's course? You know, what was your rank? Were you a squad leader? You know, and then how do you articulate? You know, that's what you got to articulate. And that's, I think, the, one of the biggest, toughest things, but people on the interviewer side, if they weren't a military guy in that organization that's doing the interview, even if you broke that down from, they don't know how to relate to you. And yeah. because they can't relate and articulate what you have in your resume, then you're not going to get that fair shot of getting that opportunity. And that's why, you know, I've actually done a lot of resumes for free for, for individuals, but a key thing is for a candidate for this industry, um, breaking in is someone who is moldable. And I think that's why, um, you know, I always like, you know, we're Marines, so we cater to Marines, right? So when I, when we go there and I, you know, see these young lads, corporals and corporals with strong hairlines, super fit, you know, and go, Hey, you know, once you get out, you're going to start off probably at a hundred thousand dollars a year, not including overtime. Uh, you're going to get paid to train and you're going to sit on a house and maybe drive and they're like, sign me up. So now they're already motivated. So it's that, 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 
the, the ability, ability to mold them. And also too, as us, as far as instructors, regards if I'm teaching executive protection, resume writing, or just trying to coach them, also for me, it's the ability for me to relay the information for them to retain it and apply it effectively in the field or, or in life. And, yeah. and I think, uh, I don't know if you see my last post, I went to a, um, uh, like a, it's like a Toastmaster public speaking and uh, social yeah, engineering so yep. yeah, with Bradley yeah. Shivers and that was mind boggling. Um, so I have literally probably 200 page of notes that I'm probably going to every day start going through and referencing and putting out on, on social media. Cause that is a big thing. Um, but also too, we, we, we can't neglect the hard skills. And that's one last thing is we were always back in the day, like, oh, we don't want to hire, you know, SF guys or that this guy has no corporate experience, but I go, but now one of my buddies actually built a team all around um, guys with special operation experience. He's like, dude, they're fire and forget. You know, we're like, we were so worried about how they're going to present themselves around the principle of the client and not realizing how effective and efficient they are out in the field and doing things on their own versus, you know, like being a, a, a project manager as a Lance Corporal managing a bunch of privates and PFCs running around, you know. Um, so there's a big difference. But the, the industry's verse. I think um, the industry has problems it's going to continue to have problems but it's going to be up to leadership it's going to be up to security companies and then up to training providers to all come together and that's the biggest thing where i think we're like myself joe sorsa um and you know elijah we teach from the op operational aspect of protection because right. we can teach from experience and we know what the needs are for the client and the principal and we apply that in training where a lot of schools go this is a secret service model this is a state department model and then here you go and they don't talk about yeah, it's the, kind of like well, it's what the, oh, you see so many schools now right they most everybody models blocks off the whips program <laughs> so they model blocks off the whips program and then I don't know. There's one out there, you know, and we won't say the names, but you you know who I'm talking about. They're they're out there on the, the West Coast side, and you know, you're teaching these hard skill intensives and driving, and it's like, cool, man, you got these guys and Crown Vicks and pit bars and ramming and pitting. Okay, well, you tell me when the hell we're going to do that in the United States. You know, when are we doing that? I'll, 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 I'll pull a caveat to that though. Um, so yeah, pit, like, caveat. I, I really we, we, we can do a whole thing on, you know, stateside because we're dealing with electronical countermeasures and in vehicles. So, you know, you know, ramming all that stuff. But I think that there is a skill set for that needed. As an example, um, you know, you go down to Latin America or you travel overseas. There's a lot of companies that, that are NGOs or people sure. who are activists or philanthropists, if I actually sure. pronounce that correctly, um, huh. that work in, you know, maybe going to non-permissive non environments. So, I'm very good at, um, well, I'm all support of having as many tools in the toolbox. If you want to invest your money and do it and know how to do it, I think you should know how to do it. Um, as an example, we, um, I was down in French Guiana um, on the space program and we had three Peugeot Sprinter vans and we were re responsible for um, transporting all the engineers and executives uh, on base on the European Space Agency um, in Crew French or in crew, um, 
and we get there and all three of them are stick shift. That's and the thing. A lot of guys are on manual transmission. Do not you know? know how and, to do stick. And, and I'm like, and how many people, how many people, not only are you doing stick, but how many guys can drive manual right side drive vehicles? Exactly. And that was a big issue. So I had them in the parking lot all night and they're popping the clutch. Cause I'm like, yeah. Do we get, cause like you, we have to drive them in. Like, so it was a crash course and that, that's some things too, where there's, there's certain things of question to ask agents. Do you know how to ride a motorcycle, an ATV? Do you know how to drive a stick? You know? Yep. Um, and then well, and the of- thing is too, though, with that, I, I think that goes back to, to your, to your organization and the training, right? Cause I don't disagree with having the skill set, but I disagree with spending the money to get that certificate and you're on an RST, right? It's something that's going to be relevant to your role, your job, where you're going to be going Oconus or going to one of those places where you're going to come across it. By all means, do it. But if you take that course now and you don't have that, you know, it, it, it's a, there's a study out there. If you took a 40 hour class to, you know, we finished it this week and you don't practice any of those skills or use them within two to three weeks, you lose 40% of that skill within two months, you've lost the whole skill. So was it really worth you spending 10 grand learning how to pit and ram when you're not going to have that opportunity maybe for 10 years down the road, if at all, you know, I would so say you prioritize, your your prioritize your training. Like right now, I know, um, my buddy, uh, I'll give him a shout Wayne DeCoste with Rescore group. Everyone on his team and his company is an EMT or a paramedic right yes, now. What is the biggest, job. you know, threat to our principles? It's medical emergencies by far. Um, 100%. And I think, um, you know, I don't like medical, but I force myself to do it, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm lucky because a lot of the programs, like the space program that I was on, um, we had doctors from SOS. So we had a full on doctor. But at a baseline level, we should know what we're doing on a medical. And also, too, um, you know, training, you know, like I said before, it, it really identifies the individual and on how they react, especially if we uh, induce stress inoculation uh, to their training and see how they handle stress. And I've seen, you know, maybe it's in my t- 10 years of doing training, maybe like three or four people fall apart, but that's three or four people that fell apart during training. Imagine if it was, you know, uh, a real event, you know, um, trying to handle a, a situation. Um, but I would say for those who's listening, wanting to get in, prioritize, um, your training on what's going to get you hired. If you're a new practitioner, driving is always a big thing because if, um, if I look at corporations and they hire you and they're like, man, we got to put them through driver's training this year, which is driving and medical are probably the two most expensive training packages for sustainment. Um, if they see that you already had that for the year in your cert, that takes the load off of them. For that to get you on right um and also too that balance of hard i'm all about hard skills man you know um and trade craft you know like i used to, I, I have lock picking classes that i've done for for clients right and that's always going to even evolve um, i'm doing a class on clandestine advances so teams don't leave breadcrumbs or a footprint when they're traveling internationally so when they do arrive it's a complete mess they, they can operate, you know, within the environment, understand the environment and get what they need to get done without leaving a presence. But with that being said, your hard skills and your soft skills, they should match. So if I, if I invest in, um, 
you know, a combatives or a shooting course or a tradecraft course, that time, if that was a, a two-day class, I should match, you know, 16 hours of soft skills. And that could be, you know, learning how to write, learning, going to a Toastmaster speaking class, um, or just studying, reading. Like soft skills, like well, how to define soft skills? Read a book. You know, there's a lot of books on corporate security. I mean, I have stacks of them up here that I haven't even finished on threat assessments, risk assessments, um, corporate EP, you know, um, you know, uh, and just be that renaissance agent or yeah, be, be the renaissance agent. You know, uh, Jared Van Gies wrote an article called the, 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 you know, be the, the, the chameleon, you know, being able to adapt and adjust regardless of the environment. Because right now, quote me, this is why most agents fail because they're able, unable to um, uh, just adapt to the corporate environment that they're working in. You know, and it's very, very diverse because a lot of these billionaires are, are leftists where a lot of us are, are A-type, super A-type personalities. And we can't be a switch. We have to be a dimmer switch when we need to turn it down, when we need to turn it up. And, you know, most importantly, be self-aware. And one thing that I'm still working on is my body language. You know, when, when I'm at meetings or consulting, I'm working really hard on trying to focus what I'm doing, you know, as far as... Um, my bodies, my, my body movements and my gestures and all that stuff, which I still struggle with because, you know, I'm like Popeye. I am what I am. <laughs> well, well, that's just the biggest thing. People are, whatever you are going, whatever you are projecting, you will receive. So it's very yeah. good to be aware and cognizant of that. You know, and the more aware you are, self-awareness, the point is, is key. That's where Ben and I and the stuff that we do, that's, that's our, that's our niche type market training and teaching that <laughs> we love to do, right, Ben? And Ben, we haven't oh, heard much from you, so I'm going to let you talk. I'm let you talk. <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate hey, ben, you. Yeah, I appreciate you gents allowing me to take kind of a back seat. But, you know, one, because, let's be fair, it hurts to talk. But uh, the, the other, it's it's been it's been a, a real kind of eye-opener to sit back and kind of, with the things you were saying, okay, this this fits here, this bit fits here, this bit fits here, and whatnot, to see how, or rather if, there is, uh, you know, a, a kind of uh, a governing thesis that might be applied to it all in that way. And, and you can tell me if I'm, if I'm, if I'm right or wrong. If I've missed up, I mean, obviously there will be nuance to it all. But you know, in in that way, it, it strikes me that when when it comes to the, the 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 kind of area of there being an issue or some kind of concern or a problem that's arisen somewhere down the line, that we can always sort of abductively reason it back towards someone has a lack of awareness that's led to a misalignment of their priorities within the moment and the ability to solve that is some kind of egocentric display whether that be you know the the the, the omid and Arian over the potentiality of a thirty-two thousand dollar investment whilst risking a couple of million uh, over this side, whether it's somebody thinking, oh, pitting and ramming is the best course to go in and actively ignoring, you know, learning how to talk, learning how to write, learning how to demonstrably, you know, comport yourself around uh, uh, around, around other people. And so, some of these areas seem to come back that, yes, there will be a, a number of roles within the EP world, but it is down to the number of hats 
that you have to wear like you like you like you've been saying a few times it's not just running jumping fighting shooting driving and all this kind of thing that you know if somebody mentioned that you know you would have to learn how to be a mediator you would have to learn how to be a communicator you would have to learn how to write legibly you know quickly when I, a couple of my guys uh, have um uh, I've recently taken work over in uh, Korea, uh, and I was I was I was saying to them, "Cool, do some reading about the culture." Why? Isn't that just a waste of time? I'm like, no, <laughs> you're going to be able to slide more into their way of doing things and why they are speaking and communicating and acting and moving and thinking and chatting in in a very specific way when i first spoke to uh, a couple of my clinical guys who were taking uh, masters in the at like psychologies and forensic psychs and this type of thing i was like take a few moments to take some memory training why learning how to learn there's there's no there is no kind of taken away from the fact that your role is expansive the same as an EP agent, same as a, a facilitator, they are expansive. And the more you kind of get out of your own way to see about these kind of possibilities that are in there, I would argue that most people, like you, like you mentioned, have never even thought about LinkedIn learning. They're more about what does my LinkedIn profile say about me? How many singing and dancing elements can I can I put into it? And so, examining these kinds of uh, heuristics from the the things that you've that you've shared with us is is only going to be able to help you exceed in in your role and, and your effectiveness right yeah ben you, you hit the nail on the head with when you talk about understanding cultures hey if you're flying to korea probably got 12 to 16 hours to study up but studying cultures is no different than studying the company culture that you potentially could be working for and that is Going, if I'm going to work, example, for to go train this tech company, I'm doing research on what is, obviously, what does the company do? What is their, their strategy? What are they looking to do moving forward? What is their expansion? Because if I'm going out there to train one detail and now they're opening five other offices in, you know, uh, two in uh, two other countries and, you know, three in the U.S., that means those teams are going to expand. And where are they? So, like, understanding their strategic um, planning, their value, and then, you know, talking with them, just like like you're right. Like, you got to do do your homework, like 100%. And, it, and, it's, and I think that's a valuable lesson and a simple lesson to go, you know, people get in this industry, understand who your client is, understand the corporate environment, and understand how you you are going to be able to function and survive. Because if I get hit, and this is what I always tell leadership, the the ones with um, dramatic need of self-preservation when I got to talk about the elephant in the room, um, is if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, where is this program going? You need to identify those underneath your command that you perceive that you can potentially start learning to um, mentor to start coming up because you don't want to be stuck in that position forever. What happens if person above you, the security director, CSO, you got to have room for movement for you to move up. You got to have someone to put in place, mm -hmm. right? And that's a, that's a, a a key thing is is being able to to identify those individuals, but also too as those individual agents, they need to identify like, hey, what do I need to do to get where he's at? You know, 
because we all have a shelf life, mm. right? Mm. And, yes. uh, you know, I'm a perfect example of that shelf life. You know, uh, as an example, since 2017, I've probably been on the road uh, 160 days out of the year. It's six months out of the year I'm gone. I'm in hotels. I got great points and flight status, but I'm hit to the point now where it's, how do I do more without doing it myself, right? How do I negotiate and, and, and yes. fill and, you know, yeah. get things done and still support? So now I can go, hey, who can I start looking at to bring underneath in, in the catalyst to support me? So I'm not going out and going, I got to go do, you know, four, five-day courses back-to-back. Who can I put in my place? I can make sure I can stay at home and, you know, book all the travel logistics, you know, redefine the, the curriculum, their delivery, their training schedule and get them going. So that is my thing because, you know, if if I can't grow, I can't do everything myself. So I have to start identifying a vision to, to support me as a business to grow. And every security company should be think, thinking the same thing. Love it. Love it. Wow. Jim, go, go for it, mate. Sorry, I didn't. I don't, I don't want to get any. No, no, no. I, I don't want to cut you off. Just no. Just it goes back to me. And I, I just you know we brought the Marine Corps a lot. That's one thing that I love that I remember learning is we we're always taught learn the job of the rank above you and the rank below you, right? Mm-hmm. We we were we were taught at a very young age how to share those responsibilities because if the man, a man goes down, you need to be able to bump up. The guy below you goes down, you should be able to be functional to do that job. You know. And you see it in law enforcement, a lot of these agencies, guys create a position and they keep everything close to the vest, but it's like, you're going to retire, you know, and there's so much more enjoyment out of sharing the information and mentoring. Like a lot of the joy that I have today is I've got different guys where I've taught in the police academy or worked with that have gone on in different agencies. You know, some are lieutenants, some are even chiefs and stuff. And they message you or text you and say, Hey, you know what you taught me saved my life or Hey, your mentorship and you're this on leadership. I'm here and I just, you know, it's like, that's what it's about. It's about helping fellow man. That's what we're naturally designed to do. And the security industry is like one of those that people would rather fight to the death to get to the bottom of the barrel rather than look at each other and say, we can be a force multiplier. There's enough business for us all. Why can't we raise the standard together, bump it together, you know, and create an environment where people can thrive. And that's what I like with meeting guys like Aaron and different people we've had on here that friends, Pablo, we, all these guys, if you're not paying attention, listening, they're all similar. We're all similar. We're all in this for the the greater good of the industry. It's our passion. And we just want to help continuously get good information, good knowledge and stuff out there and the betterment of the industry, the betterment of the individual. And um, I can't just I can't express that enough. And it's just been a pleasure having a chance to chat with you here, Aaron. And then I'll go over to you, buddy. No, I was going to say very much, very much the same thing. Skills, in essence, techniques, whatever you want to call them, they die if you don't share them. <laughs> you know, that's the way I've always thought about it. And uh, so, uh, from me as well, thank you very much for your time, sir. For those that have, yeah. have been listening, uh, I know they've they've taken away uh, many things uh, from what you've been able to share with us this evening. But if they uh, they're interested in learning more from you about you with you uh how can they uh how can they best get in touch uh, and follow along with your journey uh well you know first of all uh, connect with me on linkedin um i have over twenty-two thousand followers uh so connect with me there a lot of professional development i post a lot of jobs a lot of information that's the best way to connect with me if you want to learn more about 
um, my company, you can go to Catalyst with a K, uh, catalysttraininggroup.com, or just go to my LinkedIn page, Sonia Connect, and all my information will, will, will be there. If you have any questions, feel free to, you know, far away um, and, you know, I always try to make time. Another uh, business strategy or uh, operational strategy that I have is I try to, you know, spend 20 minutes every morning on LinkedIn, just answering PMs, posting, sharing jobs, uh, seeing who's doing what out there, because LinkedIn is a very powerful tool and last, it is one of the last unfiltered social media platforms out there. So as an example, I posted a a video of a solo agent in a shooting protecting his his principal in Brazil. I think it's up to like eighty six thousand views and over you know four hundred ten com, uh, comments. I post that same one on Instagram and it's like twenty two hundred views. So it just shows you that the filters. So you have a, a bigger outreach on LinkedIn and if you're looking for employment, you know there's job post you can you know lock your page into executive protection security and LinkedIn will feed you job posts. And I'm constantly sharing those uh, for everyone. So yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. Sorry, that was a long, long winded. Uh... More information, the better, right? You know, better be too, better be too comprehensive than too concise. Uh, but yeah, uh, amazing guys. Thank you very much for, for tuning in to another episode. Uh, and make sure you follow along on Fridays when all new episodes go out and you'll be able to enjoy great interviews like this and more discussions that we've got coming your way. The only way you can do that is by clicking that little subscription button down below. It is free, it costs you nothing, and it allows us to keep bringing you these episodes with such wonderful people as Aaron uh, to come and share their journey and their information and their knowledge and their capabilities with you. So with that in mind, we're going to love you and leave you, and we'll see you all next time. Take care. All right, Ben, Jim, thank you very much. See you, yes, sir. Bye-bye. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it.